Welcome to She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. I'm your host, Nancy Surak. I created this podcast as a way to collect conversations of women in the land and development industry. I've been a land broker on the West Coast of Florida for nearly 20 years, and I love to empower other women and to tell them about this amazing industry. But I find often that there just aren't enough women being featured on big stages, whether that's at local conferences or nationally. So I set out to find these women myself that are killing it in my business across North America that are changing the communities that they live in every single day, whether they're building condos, multifamily, single family, office or industrial projects. I hope that you will find this space to be inspirational, motivating, and educational. From time to time, I will feature women who are not only in my business, but also career coaches and motivational speakers. Hi, welcome to She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. Today's guest is Anita Verma Lillian from the Verma Land Company in Arizona. They are one of the largest landowners in the state of Arizona. I'm so excited to have you with us today, Anita. I always like for my guests to go ahead and do their own introductions so that they could tell us a little bit more about who they are, what they're working on, and you know, just a little bit more about yourself. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Nancy. And thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Um, yeah, so you know my my background is real estate. I've been doing I've been working in commercial real estate for about twelve years now. My company, my family has been in the land business for probably about the last thirty years or so, and I've been working with them for about twelve. Um, a, a lot of land acquisition development. We do a lot of entitlement work, uh, zoning cases, infrastructure planning. And things like that. So um, I've mostly been focused in the Phoenix area, the Metro Phoenix area. We've seen quite a bit of growth over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. So it's been an exciting time to be in this business. Uh, the last few years, especially, have just been um, it's just so wild and crazy. And uh, you know, we've had so many projects that we've worked on. Um, my I started my own company about three years ago as well. It's a consulting company, so I kind of I act as a land consultant. And work with developers and investors that are just looking to acquire land uh, for you know with, with specific criteria. So that's a little bit of a background on myself. Um, when I first started out with my company, we were you know doing smaller deals, you know, in the ten million dollar range, and now we've expanded quite a bit. And I, I think our, my company is managing about half a billion dollars uh, worth of assets at this point. So we've had, you know, pretty expansive growth and um, it's, it's, you know, just been amazing. So excited that to talk more about that. Sounds very exciting. So you mentioned that your family's been in the land business for 30 or so years. Yes. I want you to take me back to how did you originally decide that you wanted to either get into the family business or you know, become a part of it. I know, I know you're, you've created your own thing, but even before that you're working with the family. Yeah. A lot of people who grow up with stuff think, you know, I don't want to do what my parents yeah. are doing. Tell me about that story. Like where sure. did you go to university? What was sort of that background? And then take me through joining the family. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, I think my, um, you know, we moved to Phoenix when I was around eight years old and my dad uh, was involved in different real estate projects. He had commercial office buildings. And so since I can remember, I've been helping him with 
you know, different things like payroll or, you know, whatever he had. And we, we would always go to his different buildings and just, you know, see what he was doing. So it's something that I was exposed to at a very young age. And I think it's just, um, it's just something I've always loved and been fascinated by. And, uh, you know, my dad would, when we would, you know, on the weekends and things like that, he would drive us out to different properties he was buying. And at that time as a kid, we didn't appreciate it as much, but then, you know, five years later, you would go back to that same site and you would see, you know, a strip mall. So it was just fascinating to see. And that really resonated with me, how you would, you know, go see a vacant piece of land with nothing there. And then years later, you would see, you know, bustling development. So that, that was always very uh, interesting to me. And I always just knew I wanted to get into that business. Um, I, as far as my educational background, I went to University of Arizona. I had a business degree. I, um, I, I got a degree in finance. And after graduating, I worked um, at Boeing. So that's some uh, corporate finance experience. And I got my MBA after at USC. Uh, and that was a little bit more focused on entrepreneurship. And so in 2008 is when I um, officially joined the family business. Uh, the timing of it wasn't the best. The market, um, we were going through, you know, kind of that last uh, big recession we went through. And, um, you know, the Phoenix market got hit pretty bad. So it was an interesting time to start, um, but it was also a really good time to start because it was, you know, good just to kind of learn and position myself. And I think as, you know, the growth continued to ha happen, we were well positioned because we had those years to just, uh, you know, kind of learn and understand, uh, you know, the market and, uh, and the different areas of growth. Yeah, I got started uh, in 2005 on the brokerage side of the business. I was, that was a good time to start around commercial real estate prior to that, but that's when I started doing deals. And, and so I tell people, you know, I saw the, the tail end of the run-up yeah, and then I lived through just like the awful pause that we all experienced. Yeah. So take me back when, so you're learned, you joined the company in 2008, were you guys, um, managing things under development at that time, or were you really in more of an acquisition role, like maybe a couple of years later? Cause it, it got really kind of crazy with all the banks selling things. Mm -hmm. Tell me about like those yeah. first few years. Sure. So I was doing a variety of things. I think we were heavily in an acquisition phase at that time, just because there were several opportunities. So we expanded our portfolio. We actually, I think doubled or even tripled our portfolio during those years, um, you know, 2008 to 2014. We also, um, I, I held my, um, you know, our company transition into the solar space as well. That was, um, you know, kind of a growing market at that time, um, renewable energy on large tracts of land. And so I, I was working with solar developers, bringing them to Arizona and they would build, you know, these huge solar farms and transmit electricity to, to different parts of town. So that was, that was, you know, kind of one of the things I was involved in. And then, you know, we just had um, some commercial office building and, and things um, that I was managing. So just kind of helping in property management for some of the different assets we had, but it was, um, it was an interesting time for sure. Um, but I, I would say, you know, the opportunities that existed at that time were, you know, tremendous. You were able to buy things at, you know, 10 cents to the dollar. Uh, so, so it was, it was definitely an exciting time. And, um, and I wouldn't say exciting, but it was, it was a different time where you could really position yourself for the, the, the future growth that was coming. Yeah. The, I would say 2008 to 2009 was very challenging, Yeah, but then once the bank started to release some of their assets 
for buyers like your family who had uh, capital mm-hmm. um, or, or the term we used to use is powder, fresh powder. Um, if they had that to be able to deploy, you could just get such great buying opportunities. I, you know, I sold a lot of uh, bank REO assets, land assets during that time frame, 2010 through 2012, where, where folks and companies that invested in those pieces made tons of money. Yeah. Uh, and people, uh, you know, when COVID first hit, people said, you know, like, well, I'm here, I'm a buyer. And I'm like, I don't know if we'll ever see that time again, that 2010. It just, yeah. it was pretty incredible. So I, I, I'm with you. I wasn't on the buying side, um, but I helped people buy. Um, yeah. So take me from then to now, when you think back of your favorite part of the business and, mm-hmm. or maybe your favorite project, tell me something that comes to mind when I say, what was the, like, that's something you think back at the last 15 years and say like, God, that was so much fun. I love that deal. So, so could it be a, a more recent deal? Sure. As well. You know, so um, I have so many, the last, you know, there's just been every, and every deal is so unique, as you know, there's always, you know, different challenges, different, different learning experiences. So you learn a lot from every deal. I would say one of, you know, the most, one of my favorite deals was a deal I just did this past February. So about six months ago or so we um, acquired a piece of land. It was 2000 acres and it was, um, it was you know, $40 million deal. So it was a pretty large deal. And this property was just a phenomenal buy. And so I was able to get it in escrow. And, um, you know, the terms that we had with the seller was we had to do a very quick, quick acquisition. We had 30 days to close it basically. <laughs> yeah. So in 30 days, we I had to do all the due diligence on it. And we were you know, kind of trying to reposition it from residential to industrial. So, you know, just work with the city, make sure, you know, they would be supportive of it as far as the zoning goes. And then, you know, the infrastructure required, we, we could kind of, you know, make that work. And then, uh, you know, so that was kind of one big portion of it. Then the next one was raising the capital through the, our investors. So coming up with that amount of capital so quickly, um, it was it was one of the hardest deals I've ever done, but it was, you know, when we finished and actually closed, it was, you know, just the most amazing thing ever. And, you know, it's, um, you know, right after we closed, we had offers, you know, it's, uh, you know, almost four times what we bought it for. So it was one of the best deals I've ever done. And um, just, but, you know, the timing of it, the for, you know, that 30 days, I don't think I slept. Um, so it was super exciting. Um, so, but that's probably one of my favorite deals. So I, I jotted down when you first started talking about it, like a follow-up yeah. question. And it was going to be, how much did you sleep during those 30 days? <laughs> that is an incredible timeline. Yeah. So, so you have to, you have to take it back and just for, for my curiosity more than anything else. So you get it under contract, you have 30 days to yep. do your due diligence for context for you on a normal land deal as a buyer, yeah. Yeah. what would be a normal timeline you would have for due diligence? It's typically 90 days. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you can get even more, um, you know, if it's a more complex deal in terms of, you know, just what you have to find out from the city. Uh, so 30 days is very quick for a deal of that size. For 40 million, um, you know, I would 
probably like, you know, under normal circumstances, I would say five, six months, even, you know, anywhere from three to six months would be kind of a normal inspection period. Thank you. Thank you for answering that because I know in my world as a land advisor and a land broker, 90 days is considered fast. Yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. and so really for, in, and in my deals, we have a due diligence timeline typically, and then some sort of an entitlement process timeline. Uh, a lot of buyers are, are at least trying to negotiate those terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not uncommon for me to have a due diligence that's 150, 180 yeah. days. And then sometimes followed with a permitting period of another 180 days. Like it's okay. it's not uncommon. Um, so 30 days makes my head spin. Um, so I applaud you. During that 30 days, was the land positioned by the owner? Like were there already due diligence reports available or did you guys have to go out and, and do studies? We had to do studies. Um, yeah, you know, a lot the the previous uh, seller had bought it 10 or 15 years ago. So a lot of the studies were dated. So we had to go in and do new studies. And we were looking at, you know, we, we had a different use that we had in mind. So we had to look at it from, you know, a whole different perspective. So all the due diligence we did was, was new. Um, you know, fortunately, uh, my company, we do so many transactions. So we have subs that work very quickly for us. So, you know, we have all people who can do all surveys in phase ones within a week or so, which is not common. That's, you know, typically those surveyors could take, you know, three, four months to do a survey. So fortunately we have those relationships. So um, we were able to kind of move things along quickly. And, and I think that's one of, you know, kind of, that's been one of our benefits. It, it, the benefit to working with our group is we can move very quickly. Um, you know, once, once we, once we know the property's right. So a lot of landowners like to work with us for that reason. Yeah. No, I love buyers like you guys. Like, <laughs> let's, let's go. Uh, because the faster you can move, the faster my likelihood of getting paid. Exactly. Is. exactly. Okay, so you so you closed this land earlier this year. Where, where are you guys in the project stage? Are you going to actually be doing the development or are you positioning it to sell to someone else? We are taking it through entitlements right now and then we will and then we'll, we'll sell it to somebody else. Uh, but we're doing all the, you know, kind of infrastructure work and we may, you know, we may partner with, um, you know, an end user. So we're, we're kind of open, but we're at this point, we're doing the entitlements on it. Um, so when you mentioned earlier that you wanted to make sure the city was going to be okay with changing, is, is it zoning? You guys have zoning out there, right? Uh, yeah. So you have just kind of like a, a loose conversation with the city. You wouldn't have gone to any sort of a public process. That would be what you're doing now. Right. Okay. Very cool. So that's really, that's really exciting to, to buy $40 million worth of land and not know for certain that you yeah. can actually do what you want to do with it. Yeah. So I'm sure that there had to be some sort of underwriting that if for some reason that were not possible after closing, you'd have some other avenue to dispose. Of right, that. exactly. Yeah. So if if that was wouldn't be a possibility, we would use it as an uh, as a residential site. And which and, is which is still still great. So very we're, we're yeah. covered both ways. Cool. Um yeah, that, that that's great. And we've seen some of those deals where much on a smaller scale, multifamily versus industrial it could go either way. Mm-hmm. When both of those food classes are very hot, it yeah. makes underwriting much easier. 
Right. And, and even, you know, for us, what we're trying to do is we're trying to keep our zoning very flexible so we could have a mixed use site if we want some of it to go residential, we can, some could go commercial. So we're, we're keeping, you know, our zoning very flexible. Awesome. So when you think back kind of that 2008, when you joined the family, and then when you created your own thing, you closed this big deal. It sounds like you're doing, you got your hands on a bunch of stuff. When you think back to when you were a much younger girl going on site with your dad, did you think back then you would actually end up in the family business? I, you know, I, I think I did. I always, I knew I always wanted to go into business. I knew I wanted to have, you know, my own business. My, my um, father has had, you know, different businesses his ever since, you know, I was young, he's had different businesses. And I, I've always just, that's kind of what's always been attractive to me is to have a business. And so I always knew that's what I wanted to do. And um, as I got more involved and learned more about what he was doing, I, you know, over time, I just knew I wanted to go into real estate. And, and that was, um, you know, kind of what I wanted to do. My mom is, uh, she's a retired physician. So, you know, I kind of seen both of them and she worked very hard, but in, in her, but in a completely different way. And my dad worked very hard in, in, in his own way. So, you know, kind of seeing both of them, I just, you know, knew that business was kind of, you know, my calling and that was kind of the, the direction I wanted to go. Yeah. That's awesome. So you do different types of assets on the lands. You mentioned industrial, you mentioned residential, what's your favorite type of development? Currently it's industrial. And of course, you know, it changes with what's happening in the market. Um, right now I like industrial the most it's, you know, been since COVID there's been so much demand for industrial, um, industrial also just it, as far as infrastructure is concerned, it's a little bit easier on the planning side, uh, residential, you know, you have higher water demands and things like that. So I've found, you know, residential projects to just be easier as it, as it pertains to infrastructure, um, last year, we were also doing a lot of build for rent. That was, um, you know, very popular as well. Uh, and, you know, the values on the build for rent side were just, you know, they were, it's astounding to see what, you know, those users will pay for land. So that's, that's also been a favorite of mine. Um, but yeah, over the last few years, I would say that, you know, when the market crashed in 2008, I was all about solar at that time. Um, because that was, you know, the best, highest and best use of the land. So it, it keeps changing. And, you know, after solar, it was residential. Um, so it's, it hasn't been one thing, but um, at, at, the, at this moment, I, I'm all about industrial. Isn't it interesting how you, it, it's what you're working on that tends right. to be your favorite? Yeah, exactly. I, I'm the same way. Like I, I love land, right? But yeah. whatever it is that I'm like hot and heavy and selling and doing deals on, that's like, oh, love it. You know, at that yeah. moment, and then that'll cool, and then I'll find a new love. Sure. And, you know, it kind of keeps you going, but it makes it in, it it makes it interesting too because it's right. it's a totally when you're looking at land planning for a massive industrial project, it's completely different things you have to consider. Than yeah, if you're looking for a different asset. Right. Class. Right. Yeah. Um, and what's, it, what's also what's fascinating about industrial is the employment it creates and how much cities love that. So that's, you know, it's also, there's, you know, kind of economic impact that you're making to cities, which I, I enjoy. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that. 
what is your view when you when you mentioned this a little bit earlier? Being able to go back and look at a site that was once vacant. Mm-hmm. What does that feel like now that you're older and responsible for some of the decisions or many of the decisions that you guys are making as a company? What's that like to know you're completely changing the fabric of your community where you live? It's amazing. I mean, it's such an amazing feeling to see, you know, something that was just dirt, there was nothing on it. And, you know, then to see something where, you know, people are going and, you know, restaurants or whatever it is, and it's benefiting the the residents of that community to see residents in that community. It's, it's a, it's a very fulfilling feeling. And I think that, you know, when you're, when you're kind of in the day-to-day, you don't kind of you you don't always realize the impact you're going to have, but when you go and kind of see the final product, that's when it kind of all hits home that, you know, this is what you created and this is what you did. So it's a very rewarding feeling. And, um, you know, it's, it's fascinating, you know, and, you know, like my dad, um, one of the communities he used to take us now there's, you know, these like multi-million dollar homes on it. Um, and you know, there's, uh, it's right nestled along the white tank mountains in Phoenix. So they're just beautiful homes and it's just, you know, amazing to see that. And, um, so, you know, each and each property we've sold, there's different things on it. There's grocery stores on some of them, car washes, medical offices. So it's, you know, we have kind of a range of, of different services that, that are on these sites and each one, you know, just gives us so much pride and satisfaction. So, so that's definitely the best part of it all. Yeah. Um, what about, uh, do you guys uh, actually do any vertical development or are you just strictly land development, horizontal infrastructure? We've kind of stuck mostly to horizontal. We have done a few vertical projects. Um, we've JV'd with a few developers where we've done vertical development. Uh, and we're not opposed to that as well. It's just our, you know, specialty has just been land and horizontal. So we've, you know, kind of focused mainly on that. But one of my goals moving forward as I, you know, kind of grow my company and over time, I do want to, you know, kind of start going vertical as well. So that is, that is a goal of mine um, at some point. The current, you know, we were developing a medical office, um, uh, you know, kind of last year and, it's a tough environment to develop in right now, just based, you know, due to the supply chain issues and things like that. So uh, we were, you know, kind of going in that direction, but I think, you know, we're, I think the, the development, the supply chain needs to kind of resolve itself. And I think it's something I definitely want to get, get into at some point down the road. Yeah. It can be really challenging when, when costs are completely out of control and you don't, it just makes it difficult to underwrite anything because you don't really know where the numbers are going to kind of be. Um, Okay. So I love asking this question of specifically of land developers. Um, Mm -hmm. What is the strangest thing you've ever encountered on a deal? The strangest thing. There's been quite a bit. Um, um, There's, there's, I have so many different stories, but I would say one of the strangest things that's ever happened is we were working with a buyer on some land we had. It was a large tract of land. I think it was around a thousand acres. And so this buyer, you know, supposedly was, um, they were doing some sort of like defense development. And we found out that they were, you know, just doing all kinds of weird, like they were like blowing up like cars and just 
all kinds of weird things. And we found out through the city and, and we had to kind of terminate that deal pretty quickly, but that was, um, that was one of the stranger things that anyone's ever done on one of our properties. Um, they would have like firework shows and all, all kinds of stuff. So, um, that was weird. And then, you know, just different, I think in general, just like every deal you do, you have different personalities, whether it's, you know, sellers you're working with or different investors, you know, whatever it is, you, it just, there's always, you know, different personalities and different ways of doing things. So we've had, you know, I've just had a fair share experiences, um, you know, kind of with, with, with deals where you're just like, huh, that's, this is, this is interesting. Yeah. I always say, oh, that's a new one. I'm like, I learned you. And you mentioned this earlier. I learned something new on every single deal. Yeah, for sure. There's never, there's never a dull moment. Uh, There's always something. But it is pretty remarkable too, for me, at least I will see patterns or or personalities and, and all my alarm bells will start going off. And I'm like, oh, I've, I've, I've heard these words strung together before I've seen this or, you know, it's like the anticipation of is my past experiencing getting in my way or yeah. is my past experience telling me that something's about to go down, you know, uh, yeah. but it is, it's pretty cool. we, we yeah. do get to deal with some really interesting <laughs> situations and, and people. Yes. Um, so you mentioned earlier supply chain issues being an issue for folks going vertical. What's a challenge that you're dealing with right now in your business more on the horizontal level? I would say, you know, the, you know, there, during COVID, uh, you know, there were obviously there, you know, there were supply chain issues that arose. And then I think the market started to heat up after that and everybody, you know, started trying to get their projects entitled at the same time. Um, So just, you know, going through that process is a lot longer than it's ever been. Um, you know, even getting subs, everybody's so busy. Everyone has so many different projects and then, you know, employment is a challenge. Everyone's having a hard time with staffing issues. So, you know, it's like fewer people trying to do more things. So, you know, that's just kind of been a bottleneck of trying to get things moved along. Um, it's just, you know, kind of the, the lead times it's taking uh, to, to kind of get through uh, some of these rezones and things like that. So that that's been a little challenging. So when you think back all these years, what would you say are the top skills that you have to utilize on a regular daily basis? I think, you know, one thing that I think has been very important is just my relationships with people, um, you know, having been in this industry for so long and even, you know, kind of utilizing my, my dad's relationships, um, you know, that's, that's so important because, you know, when you have worked with someone in the past, they know, you know, what they're getting with you and, you know, you're easy to work with. It just, um, you know, cities are more responsive to you. And that's been so helpful to me, even finding deals, you know, like I have a handful of agents that I have a long history with that, you know, kind of bring me off market deals that other people may not get access to. So those relationships have been so important to me, especially these past few years when, you know, the market's just so crazy and everything is, you know, everyone's looking for land, everyone's looking for deals. So you're competing with so many people and trying to do, you know, the same thing everyone's trying to do. So I think having those relationships with, with people that, you know, kind of help you um, has been important, even, you know, with engineering firms, we've worked with some, some of the same firms for, you know, 20 years now. So 
you know, they, they kind of work with us on some of our projects. So, so just those relationships have been very huge uh, for us over the past few years. Yeah, it does. It does help when you know you have a track record. Whatsoever, yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, especially when you know they're going to take your call or return your call. It, it's, right. it's huge. Um, okay. So I love to ask three questions towards the end okay. of every podcast. Okay. Um, my first one of those is if a young woman reached out to you and said, whether her family's in the business or not, I love the concept of doing land development and changing my communities. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested. What would be a piece of advice you could give me as I get into your industry? What would you tell her? Mm-hmm. So what I would say is, I would say to just, you know, kind of learn as much as you can about, you know, my, for me, I've been very regionally focused. I focus on certain areas. And I think when you have a certain area that you know really well, um, it's very easy to identify opportunities quickly. Uh, So I, what I would say, my dad used to make me do this and I hated it, but like we, he would make me like look at maps and on the assessor site, you can see exactly who owns what piece. And we would write out who owns what piece, like how many acres it is. And then I would call them a lot of times and see, you know, if they want to sell or like, you know, what price they would sell at, just so you know, you know, what, what's available, what's not, what the other seller's expectations are. So when a property comes along, you can quickly say, okay, that's a really good deal because I know, you know, the landowner next door wants, you know, three times that or what, or whatever it is. And I think that that would be my advice is just become, you know, as knowledgeable. And it just starts with, you know, making as many calls as you can to different landowners, brokers, um, agents, and then, you know, looking at these maps as much as you can, because it really gives you so much insight as to, you know, what's available, what's, you know, what could, where the growth can go. And um, one of the things that was, it's, kind of critical to my company last year, just kind of trying to stay a little bit ahead of where the growth is coming. So if you know, you know, on one street or one exit, you're seeing a lot of growth, then maybe look at what that next exit looks like and what, you know, land is available there. So kind of just mentally try to stay ahead of that growth. Um, So that, that would be my advice to somebody that's starting out and just, you know, patience is in in this industry, you have to be patient um, because there's just so many, there's so many things that are out of your control a lot of times, you know, with the con- you know, the economy or, you know, right now supply chain issues or, or whatever it is. So, you know, just patience and position yourself as best as you can. So when the opportunities arises, you're ready to go. So you said you have to really concentrate on relationships for everybody listening here today, concentrate on building relationships, have a ton of patience and go after what you want. Right. Yes. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone or or contact people because you're going to learn yes. a lot of stuff along the way. It might not even be that you learn it's available, but you're going to learn through the process as to how to compare, right? Um, yes. Great, great advice. Okay. So the next question I love to ask, uh, because I am a huge audiobook listener. Um, I'm actually, I actually just downloaded another one new book, um, but I, I need to have more in the background because I go through them about a book every 10 days or so on my, on my audiobooks, um, depending on how long they are. Cause I listen as I walk my dog every morning. Um, do you have a book, mm-hmm. even, you know, personal professional that you love or that you say, wow, this is a great book. And it's 
got either, you know, if it's professional, it's got great advice in it um, that I adore. And if it's personal, you just love the story that you'd be willing to share. Sure. So a book that I, I, you know, recently read, it's, I, you might've read it. It's called smart women finish rich by David Bach. Um, so basically, you know, this book, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, one of the things that I've been trying to educate some of my investors on, and it's just kind of empowering women to take control of their financial future. And, and it's, you know, he just talks about different things where, you know, it's, you know, you have to kind of be aware of how much, not only how much you're making, but also how much you're spending. And, you know, it's important to also set aside money for, you know, the future or whatever it is you have to, you know, just different ways to invest your money and be mindful of, you know, the returns you're getting. So that's been, um, that's been a good, great book. And I think it's just kind of resonates with some of the things that I've been trying to communicate with my investors, which is, you know, just be mindful. You know, a lot of when I first started out and we were, you know, uh, finding investors, a lot of people that I came across, a lot of women would just, you know, kind of connect us with their husbands and say, you know, my husband kind of, you know, looks at all of our investments and things like that. And I think that there needs to be a little bit of a shift where I think women need to, you know, get more involved in some of the investments they're making and um, just pay more attention to that. So uh, this is kind of just in line with, you know, some of those thoughts. And I think, you know, this book also kind of talks about giving back to the community and just, you know, just having gratitude for, you know, what you're doing and enjoying life and just, you know, kind of just being mindful of like, you know, little habits you should get into. So it's, it's been an interesting read for sure. I would recommend it. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of a detour here because you mentioned something and that answer that jogged my brain. I read about, um, I think it's foundation that your family started that you and your sister uh, are involved in. It has to do with education. Is that right? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that really quickly. Sure. Yeah. So we started that foundation, I think it was in 2014. So it's been almost 10 years now. Um, and so the goal of that foundation, my family's from India. Um, that's, that's where my parents grew up. And so, you know, just, you know, there's a lot of poverty there and there's, you know, unfortunately children don't always have access to education. So the goal of the foundation is really to help some of those underprivileged children provide them opportunities for education and access to education. And we have family, um, there that, you know, kind of act as our local, um, you know, partners that kind of facilitate everything that we're doing. So that's one of the goals of the foundation. And so, um, it's something we're very excited about and and we kind of keep growing and, you know, coming up with different uh, thoughts um, and different ways to take it. But, uh, but that's, you know, kind of the overall goal of that. Uh, thank you for indulging me with that. I, I meant to ask you that question earlier and I forgot. Um, because for me, especially for women, I, I look at education as the great equalizer. Uh-huh. And um, especially for women, I feel like, you know, if you give a woman an education, there's just so many things she can do for herself yes. that she's not um, necessarily predisposed to relying on other people taking care of her. She's, you know, able to take care of herself in so many different ways. And so I'm a huge proponent of that. So, um, you know, I think that's great that you and your family and you and your sister are so invested in making sure that you can pass that down. Um, so on behalf of humanity, Thank you for doing that. Um, so then back to the interview, uh, the the last question I, I ask folks is, uh, um, is on every podcast is how can 
a listener keep up with you? Are you active on social media? Do you have an active like LinkedIn account where people can just sort of follow what you guys are working on or what you're working on personally? Yeah, no, definitely. I have um, Arizona Land Consulting, which is my consulting business. We, I have a LinkedIn um, and we, you know, post articles, you know, periodically about, you know, what's happening in the real estate market. And so um, that's a good place. Um, I have my website. We, I, you know, kind of update some of the things we're working on there as well. But I would say LinkedIn is probably the best, the best way to, to start. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Well, I, you know, Anita, it was so fun to get to know you. I love uh, connecting with powerful women. This podcast has been pretty remarkable. I've been able to connect with people all over. Um, and one day in the future, I'm going to bring everybody together and be like, hey, Anita, meet my friends in, in Toronto that, you know, are doing these amazing things and my friends in Florida that are doing these amazing things, uh, but that we're all happen to be female yeah. and, and just killing it. So thank you again for joining me yeah. and for sharing your story and your history and your points of advice uh, with us here. It's been yeah, a pleasure. Thank you, thank you for having me. And, the, you know, congratulations on this podcast. It's amazing. And I think it's really remarkable to, you know, kind of connect with other women in real estate because there's, it's hard to find. So I appreciate that opportunity. You bet. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Lizzie. Thank you for joining us for another episode of She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. If you enjoyed today's show, please go out and rate us so that we can be found by other women in our industry. And if you know women who are working in land and development, please share this podcast with them. And if you know a total rock star woman, badass chick who is killing it in land and development anywhere in North America, I want to know who she is. Please reach out to me so that I can feature her on an upcoming episode.